Back on the Federal Drive with Tom Temin on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jared Serbu, filling in for Tom this week. As lawmakers return to Washington from their latest recess, their attention is starting to turn toward the 2020 budget. The House plans to get to work on three big appropriations bills this week, and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi promises they'll clear her chamber with bipartisan support. But none of the spending figures they come up with will mean much until Congress and the White House reach an agreement on what to do about the budget cap set to go back into effect next year. Lauren Duggan is Deputy News Director at Bloomberg Government. He talked with me about what to expect from this early stage of the appropriations process. What we're lacking at this moment is a top-line number that both sides agree on. So the House has come up with a number that it's going to use to write the 12 appropriations bills, which is, of course, normally where you start with this. You figure out how much you have to spend, and then you divide it up. But this week, we're going to start seeing some of those details as House appropriators release three of the bills, one of which is kind of one of the biggest that's out there, the Labor HHS Education Bill, which covers a lot of the social policy has a lot of the money and also touches on the biggest mandatory spending programs that are out there with Medicare and Medicaid. Not that the bill does a lot about them, but the bill certainly um, does release the funding to allow those to, to continue to operate. And then two of the bills that are traditionally bipartisan and less controversial, funding military construction projects in the Veterans Affairs Department, and then the legislative branch, Congress's own attempt to, to write a budget for itself and sometimes curtail its budget in the face of, you know, budget cuts or austerity times. So um, what we'll be looking for here is how much do they propose spending in these bills and what sort of departures are they going to have with the administration in terms of where the administration wanted to make cuts to stay within the spending caps that for now are what need to govern this and are much lower than what the Democrats are looking to spend. Yeah, and those first three appropriations measures are kind of an interesting mix because I think historically you'd have to say that that labor HHS education bill is one of the most complicated and politically difficult to pass. Milcon VA, on the other hand, is usually fairly easy and, and tends to go first. But that bill has gotten dragged down into the border wall morass because the administration has asked for several billion dollars to backfill the Milcon money it's planning to use for the border wall this year, in addition to several more billion for potential border wall construction in 20. So that one, probably not so easy this time. It won't be, and it will be interesting to see, maybe not at the subcommittee markup, which we'll see this week, but when they get to the full committee and you have the whole appropriations committee with a chance to weigh in on this, what sort of language or restrictions do they want to put into the military construction bill to prevent that from happening again, to prevent the president from taking money that was earmarked for one project and give it to another? And I mean earmark in a colloquial sense, not the actual handing out of earmarks, which of course they don't do anymore. Um, and on the Veterans Affairs side, which has become a, you know, sometimes it can be controversial, although the funding mechanisms for it typically aren't. One issue this year is that programs that have been mandatory are going to start shifting over to the discretionary side, and they do need to figure out how to pay for some of those community care programs that they've been working to create and and kind of deal with some of the VA's backlog by funding those sorts of programs. That has to be factored in as well, and that puts pressure on total spending and staying within the spending caps in a way that we did 
didn't necessarily see in some recent years. So that Milcon VA bill perhaps will become more controversial, especially if they decide to use it to to kind of pick a fight with the administration on some of this stuff. Yeah, and let's talk a bit more about those caps that you mentioned because you know you mentioned that the House has set its own top line figure, but that figure is probably just as irrelevant as the administration's budget proposal until and unless they figure out a way to deal with the BCA caps in 2020. So where, where do we stand on, on those sorts of negotiations to, you know, to the extent they've started at all? Right. Well, the House was going to vote before the recess it just took on a bill from John Yarmouth, the budget committee chairman, that would have raised the caps by equal amounts. They wouldn't have then been equal caps, but each increase would have been about the same. And that would have covered fiscal 2020 and 2021, so the next two years that we'll be talking about. That bill couldn't make it to the floor because of disagreements within even the Democrats in the House side, because some of the more progressive members wanted even more money for non-defense or for perhaps less for defense programs than John Yarmouth was proposing. So what he did is he came up with this plan and then set it aside. Um, and the House adopted through some you know, legislative arcana, a, a top line number that they could use among appropriators to hand out the money. But as you suggest, that isn't a number that the Senate Republicans have signed on to. It isn't a number that the administration has signed on to. So it's really kind of a, a guess at this point. Um, where we are is a disagreement still about how much to fund defense and how much to do under the spending cap and then under the overseas contingency operations account, which doesn't count towards the cap. The administration wanted to get to $750 billion by putting a lot of money into OCO um, or that overseas contingency operations account, but Congress didn't really care for that idea and would like to see the spending caps raised to, to account for that. So I think we're going to start to see maybe this week and in the coming weeks, a real effort underway by leaders in both chambers to start talking more about this because also looming over this is the debt limit discussion because we are at our debt limit right now, and the Treasury Department is doing what it can to keep us under that. But you do have kind of a, a fiscal storm coming here of needing to deal with the spending caps, needing to address the debt limit, and also ensuring that the federal government is funded at the end of the fiscal year so that we don't wind up in another um, shutdown situation. So a lot of threads could be coming together here as part of these talks or, or you know, in the few months we have ahead before funding runs out. Yeah. And, and on, on the caps, as you mentioned, basically the administration's position on this is the cap should stay intact, but defense should be allowed to skate around them through the use of that OCO money you mentioned. Does that seem to be, I mean, are, are there many Republican appropriators who are also adopting that point of view or are they also in the mode where they would like to see the caps raised at least to some extent on the on the domestic side as well? We've heard more skepticism about that from, from the Republican side. And there are Republican appropriators who want to see more non-defense money, too, for some of their priorities. So um, where we might wind up here is you know, an agreement that we have to get these caps raised, but to what level and then how? Do you just raise the caps or do you raise the caps with offsets? There, there's a lot of questions here that, to my mind, are still unaddressed and that we're going to be chasing down members on the Hill this week to see where they're going with this. But um, I think there would be a reluctance to put all that money into the OCO account and do nothing on the non-defense side. I think that would be a tough thing to sell in the Senate where it still takes 60 votes to get anything done legislatively. And that could um, that could be difficult to do if you're you know not touching the non-defense side of the ledger. All right. Lauren Duggan, Deputy News Director at Bloomberg Government. Thanks so much, Lauren. Thank you. 
It is 56 minutes past the hour on The Federal Drive with Tom Temin for the latest updates. Stay with federalnewsnetwork.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Top national headlines from ABC News and The Federal Newscast are up next on Federal News Radio, part of The Federal News Network. This is The Federal Drive with Tom Temin. I'm Jared Serby filling in. financial plan isn't just about money. It's about what matters most to you, like protecting your family, supporting your community, and building a legacy for future generations. At Northwestern Mutual, we start with a conversation about the life you want to live now and years from now. Whether you're paying down debt, saving for college, or planning for retirement, we have an eye on your bigger picture. Get access to our financial expertise at harlem.nm.com. The Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company, headquartered in Milwaukee, Wisconsin.